Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And we are back this week. So glad to be back with you all here on the show. Last week, of course, was July 4th. So Kristen and I, we were hanging out with family and friends. And we played a great rerun, Blast from the Past, but an oldie but a goodie with Sue Ellen Browder. She is a true Problematic Woman. So we were so glad to be able to kind of bring her story back to the surface for our problematic women audience but this week we are so excited that we have a new problematic woman joining us today macy petty is a young women for america ambassador and an ncaa athlete she also just so happens to be an intern here at the heritage foundation macy thanks for being with us hey thank you so much for having me well this is gonna be fun i'm so excited to hear your story, you have a pretty wild story, so I'm really excited to dive into it today. Um, but while we were out over July 4th, it, it ended up being somewhat of an eventful week. I was up in New England visiting my family, and we went up to a really small town in New Hampshire for July 4th. And I posted a little bit about this on the Problematic Women Instagram account, but it's a town that uh, gets a lot of Republican, not Republican, but presidential candidates, both Republican and Democrat. New Hampshire is an early primary state, so they have a lot of folks that go up there. And so it's a small, small town that like triples in population over the summer because it's a tourist town. We love those. We love those little <laughs> towns. And very cute, classic July 4th parade, handwritten signs, you know, floats with, you know, the local school bands and dance clubs. It's very cute. And it's like an hour into the parade. And there is an ice cream shop just off Main Street in that town that is the ice cream shop. If you've ever been to Wolfboro, New Hampshire, you know about Bailey's Bubble. Bailey's Bubble, you stand in line for a very long time on summer nights to get this ice cream. It's delicious. It's homemade. And so my sister, brother-in-law, and I, yes, we are all in our 30s, but we were like, okay, we're going to be strategic about this. It opens at 11. Right at 11, we're going to leave the parade. We're going to go get ice cream. We'll come back, finish watching the parade. So we did that. There was no line. It was great. Like, okay, we're really killing this July 4th game. So we're standing there eating our ice cream, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of DeSantis signs. Oh, wait a second. There's Ron DeSantis and Casey DeSantis. Like, this is so cool. So they're walking down. They're marching in the parade. The crowd is like all of a sudden electric. People are so excited that they're there. They're shaking hands. I shake Ron DeSantis's hand. And then I'm like, oh, but I didn't get any photos or video of Casey DeSantis, who was a little bit in front of him. So like I run ahead and I'm getting some video of her. And by this point, I'm pretty much ignoring the ice cream cone in my hand because <laughs> Ron and Casey DeSantis are there. Right. So ice cream is just dripping down my hand. I'm holding the cone in my right hand. And all of a sudden, Casey DeSantis starts walking towards me. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I just have ice cream. <laughs> All over my arm. Like, I can't shake her hand with my right hand because it's sticky with ice cream. So she's so sweet and gracious and walks over. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't shake your hand because ice cream. So I hold out my left hand and, like, shake her hand with my left hand. And I'm just babbling about, I work at the Heritage Foundation. And one of my colleagues has interviewed you. And uh, she was very kind and very gracious. And her little boy is adorable. But I was like, well, that's not exactly how I pictured uh, meeting meeting. <laughs> meeting Casey DeSantis or uh, you know the the first lady of Florida and who possibly may end up being first lady of the United States one day. 
But here we are, and in true July Fourth fashion. So I love yeah. it. I what know. flavor of ice cream was it? Okay, so it was pretty good. Um, I will say it's not the best flavor that they have. It was soft serve strawberry and banana twist. Interesting. Yeah. What a combo. So a very yeah. classic ice cream cone. Yeah. Of literally, it was pink and white. Right. Patriotic. Very like patriotic. I know. Uh, good. In hindsight, probably. If I knew that Casey DeSantis was going to be showing up, <laughs> would not have gotten the ice cream. In fairness, it's the wrong side of the eastern eastern coastline that she was on, <laughs> right? Like she should have been a lot more south. <laughs> it was. I think everyone was very surprised that they were there. That's but awesome. It was entertaining to say the least. But Kristen, you had a pretty entertaining July Fourth as well. Yeah. No. I. Well, first, you you also said her son. Like there's oh, the other son, so right? Cute. You got well, yeah. so because my sister was standing behind me taking pictures, and in one of the pictures, I looked, and her little boy, who's probably like I don't know five or six, yeah. he's holding her hand, and he's just staring up with these big eyes, and I was like, "What is he looking at?" And I was like, "Oh, he's looking at the ice cream <laughs> yeah. so jealous. She's wasting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I want that. So yeah. mad at you for letting your ice cream. Melt. I know. Like I should have gotten him an That's ice cream. So you didn't know though. You didn't, I didn't know. know. I didn't know. But, but no, um, not exactly the same vibe for me. I <laughs> faced my fears. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm not sure if we've talked about this on the show before. We've talked about the Titanic yes. and the movie, but I actually put a pin in talking about that infamous sub because I just couldn't handle researching it's true. it. Kristen was like, we can't talk about this. <laughs> it's too much. About- <laughs> I have this like irrational fear of underseen, underwater scenes. Um, it kind of going back to middle school days originated there and I just saw a picture of the Titanic and I remember just being freaked out (laughs) and just kind of spiraled from there I've never been on a cruise my mom and dad have asked to be asked to do that for holidays before I always say no because (laughs) I am insane but um yeah biggest fear in the world is looking at underwater scenes but like I said conquered it went on a boat this weekend technically awesome. a ferry so my car and i faced our fears <laughs> um, together and i basically just took the ferry from uh new jersey to delaware it was an hour i got a drink during it because nerves <laughs> and um my boyfriend ended up taking the most ridiculous video um compilation of my experience so it's very funny. maybe we can share it to the problematic women that like would, story that would be great but um yeah basically me just near a lot of life rafts and lifeboats. <laughs> <laughs> making sure there's an exit at all times. <laughs> well, well done, Kristen. Thank you. And Macy, you were here in the nation's capital. I was, yeah. So what is July 4th like? It was Washington, amazing. DC? The past couple of months I've been here at the Heritage Foundation as an intern. So we have been working really hard to uh, protect these freedoms and everything like that. So it was awesome just to come and, and celebrate that and and um, just recognize where we are as a country and where we've been. And so it was so fun. My family got to come and meet everyone. And we got to party on the rooftop. And as far as you could see, everywhere you looked, there was fireworks. And such a fun celebration. So it was was amazing. That's the best part, I think, about July 4th in D.C. is just everywhere you look is fireworks. Right. And that's insane. Yes. I was here last summer, and I remember FaceTiming my parents and showing them. And on FaceTime, I just did this 360 view. And everywhere you saw was fireworks. And they were like, we're coming next summer. And so (laughs) they were able to come which was so fun. That is awesome. Well, Maisie, I'm so excited that we get to dive in and discuss your story today. So, Kristen, 
go ahead. Let us know. What is the plan? What do we have queued up for today? Yeah, lots, lots in the lineup today. Up on today's Problematic Women, we hear how Macy Petty became a voice for true women's rights. Plus, get her reaction to U.S. women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe saying she would be cool having a male on the women's team. A new poll shows that Americans don't trust colleges anymore and, as always, will be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. So going on Fox News and speaking to members of Congress, it's not exactly the traditional college (laughs) experience. But Macy, that's been your college experience. As we mentioned, you are a Young Women for America ambassador. You're also an NCAA athlete. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, your experience. Um, And so I want to start by just asking you to share a little bit about yourself, where you're in school. And how you got into volleyball? Yeah, so I go to Lee University. It's a private Christian school in Tennessee, and I play volleyball there. Playing volleyball in college has always been a dream of mine. Um, Probably in middle school, I decided this was the sport that I loved, despite my dad wanting me to play basketball. (laughs) Um, I, I knew that volleyball was for me. Even in elementary school before that, I would spend hours and hours outside trying to learn how to overhand serve. This was just something so I caught this bug, and I loved volleyball, and I wanted to extend my career into college. So uh, going in through high school, I sacrificed a lot. I never got to go to prom, had to miss a lot of family vacations and things like that, because in the volleyball world, if you want to get recruited, you have to play Nationals Club Volleyball. So you spend every single, just about every single one of your weekends in season traveling across the country to play other club teams. And uh, this is where the college scouts will go and look for talent and try and recruit girls for their teams. So it was at one of these tournaments um, that I get to the court and I look across and I see that there is a boy on the other team. And I was really confused because there are boys club teams and they play on the other side of the convention center. (laughs) And I was confused and um, just kind of baffled because this was in high school. I am now going into my senior year of college, so this was probably 2018, 2019. And um, I played the game, and we lost, and it was embarrassing. But I was just confused this entire time of why Mm. anyone was letting this happen. And a really important point for volleyball is that Men's nets are over seven inches higher than female seven nets. Seven inches is a lot. Seven wow. inches is a lot. I mean, imagine being seven inches taller, right? Yeah. I, uh, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> I worked so hard to increase, increase my vertical even half an inch, much yeah. less seven inches. And so it was crazy. And I was baffled of why anyone was letting this happen. And uh, I didn't have any interest in politics at the time. I was I didn't think this was an issue. I was thought, you know, USAV, JBA, one of these associations is – is going to pick up on this and not ever let it happen again, right? This is obviously wrong. This shouldn't be allowed. I This wasn't a co-ed league. I didn't sign up to be in a co-ed league. This mm-hmm. is a female-only league. Someone's going to speak up for us, right? And um, I continued, uh, by the grace of God, I was recruited to a college, despite college recruiters watching this boy slam the ball in our faces uh, after we traveled and sacrificed to make it to these tournaments. And um, so I got to college, I started playing, and I remember getting a phone call my freshman year. I was 18 years old, 
and somebody was asking me to testify on the women's sports issue in South Carolina. Amazing. I was like, what do you mean? Like, testify on, <laughs> testify on women's sports to keep women's sports female, obviously. Mm-hmm. Why do you even need to hear this? Yes. And so I did, and I testified, and it didn't pass. Mm-hmm. And I was confused. I was like, this is so obvious. And they were saying, this isn't an issue. This isn't happening. Um, you're just looking for things to complain about, despite the fact that they had a female athlete from South Carolina in front of them saying, this happened to me. And so uh, that kind of fired me up, right? And I, that's when I got involved with Concerned Women for America and Young Women for America and uh, really started to use my voice because I quickly realized JVA, USAV, NCAA, the presidential administration, these people aren't speaking up for us. I mm-hmm. thought that they would obviously see what's wrong with this and make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else. Um, but despite that, I stood outside of the uh, NCAA, Swimmen's Women. Swimming, women's swimming and diving national championship and uh, watched Leah Thomas steal a national championship. And no one was speaking about it. The NCAA wasn't speaking up for women. Um, no members of Congress were passing legislation to protect us. They, in fact, I saw people celebrating it right. and saying, this is female liberation. And I was so confused. Um, so that that's when I... Um, really got into media and things like that, trying to share my story of how I almost lost my scholarship and my opportunity for education because a male was jumping over the barriers that people set over 50 years ago to give me my opportunity, and I wanted to make sure that other girls got an opportunity. Just going back to that game, out of curiosity, I played soccer. Mm -hmm. My career ended 2018 um, because that's when I graduated college. (laughs) Um, But when you played against that male, that um, was there a difference? Could you feel like maybe he was hitting the ball harder? He was mm-hmm. able to jump higher. Obviously, you worked so hard to increase your vertical. Like, I just want people out there to f- see what you've seen right. and feel what you felt. Absolutely. Like I said, there's a se- over seven inch net difference. So he was playing on a net over seven inches shorter than he should have as a man. He could jump higher, hit the ball harder. Women's volleyball and men's volleyball, with the exception of the net height, they have the exact same rules. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the actual execution of the game, it's very different because our, our sports reflect our bodies. Mm-hmm. And women's bodies are different than men's bodies, so our sports are different and they're played differently. Women's sports, women's volleyball is much more strategic. You're going for a placement. Men's volleyball, it's pure strength. They're hitting the ball as hard as they can. And so it's, it's really dangerous when you put a man like that on a court with a girl. You have stories like... Um, the one in North Carolina, right, where she had severe head and neck injuries. That does not normally happen in volleyball. I get hit in the head all the time. That's just the nature of the sport. But because the ball is soft, you don't normally have severe injuries like that. But Mm -hmm. because of the strength that he was hitting with, it it was. So it -hmm. is not only a fairness issue. It is definitely definitely a safety issue as well. Mm. Well, and that's something that seems to be just sort of ignored by people who are advocating to allow men into women's sports. We um, have heard repeatedly, but just recently again, during uh, an interview with Time magazine that U.S. women's soccer player Megan Rapinoe said that she thinks men should be allowed to play on women's sports teams. Why do you think athletes like Rapinoe are so eager to say, oh, yeah, men, men should be allowed to compete against women. I mean, what are they missing here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really sad, honestly, because um, there obviously isn't this this respect for the people who came before and fought for, for her opportunity to play um, and to have the incredible experience that she's had in, in sports. And now 
advocating essentially for the destruction of um, sex-based protections. Um, it's, it's very sad, and, and it is at the end of her career. She did announce that she was right. planning to retire. And so mm-hmm. this world that she envisions where men are allowed to play on women's sports and, and that means that girls are going to be hurt and girls' opportunities are – we're going to have mu- many, many stories like me and Riley and all these other female athletes. These stories are going to be much more common. They're already becoming more common, but they're going to be the norm. And this this world that she wants, um, she's not going to have to live in it. She's not going to have to be that female athlete who um, who has her spot taken by a male athlete who's using a biological advantage, and that that is very sad. Yeah, actually, so I, I did play soccer, and just seeing that news yesterday, um, especially because this is going to be her last World Cup, mm-hmm. and the women at the World Cup have pretty much dominated for the U.S. Like, right. it's awesome. It's kind of the joke. The men aren't great, but the women are great. <laughs> um, and I'm just so interested, not only to watch the games, because I love watching soccer still, like 90 minutes of fun, but <laughs> what is she going to say after, you know? Like, mm-hmm. because to your point, volleyball you're still suffering head injuries and that's a non-contact sport but look at soccer which is a contact sport and i'm ready to see a lot more injuries in this women's world cup than usual Mm -hmm. and i'm just it'll be interesting to see if she ever changes her mind like she probably won't because she sold her soul to this but they did actually rule the world cup rules are accepting of trans women athletes this year so that will be very interesting to see how it plays out right Right. Yeah. It's sad to think about, you know, making it to the World Cup. That is a massive accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and this isn't just including some male athlete into that. This is when you include that male athlete, you're excluding a female athlete who has worked her entire life to make it to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And um, I hate to think about that, that girl who's going to be excluded because yeah. of the inclusion. Well, and of the male. irony of all of this, too, is Megan Rapinoe was one of those key players in getting equal pay Mm -hmm. for professional women um, athletes you know like that was a huge thing they celebrated I'm Mm kind of sitting here like now what you just opened the floodgates to allow men to easily get this equal compensation it's Mm going to become the men's b league if they're economically smart and I hate to say that because it's a manipulative thing but it's just disgusting it's kind of it doesn't make sense like you said you were standing there testifying and still so confused by why you had to. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's why I'm so grateful for organizations like Heritage and Concerned Women for America who are giving the female athletes who are mm-hmm. in the NCAA and who are hoping to get scholarships, giving them a voice in this. Yeah. Um, I've been very, very grateful in my time um, being able to uh, speak with congressmen and senators and, and people who will hear our voices, people mm-hmm. um, like Congressman Greg Stubbe, who's fighting for the protection of women in sports, that there are people who want to hear us and, and want to um, our stories to be told, whereas the NCAA and these, these overarching organizations are, are trying to silence the girls who these things are actually affecting, the people who are still in the sports orgs. Well, and what what we're seeing from people like Megan Rapino from the NCAA from lawmakers who are advocating that men should be allowed in women's sports is almost a putting on of blinders to mm-hmm. totally deny what it is to be female and what it is to be male, which never used to be controversial. <laughs> right. But it, it's the it's the only way that you can justify it. If you look at interviews with Megan Rapino, she's very open that she genuinely believes that men who all of a sudden say no i think i'm a woman i identify as a woman i feel like a woman she genuinely believes that they 
are women, despite the biology, despite the science, despite the difference in parts, despite the difference in chromosomes. And it, it really is a sticking your head in the sand. It's mm-hmm. saying, I like this narrative. It fits. Sounds sounds nice. Sounds mm-hmm. good. So I'm going to run with it, and I'm going to I'm willing to deny reality or science. 100%. You know, d- yeah. science denier. Although 100 science denier. Apparently, she is not. I yeah, know. I know that gets so messy. <laughs> with Throwing <the> shade. <laughs> Throw the shade. <laughs> um, but I had a, a quick follow up, kind of just pivoting here because you've done such an eloquent job explaining your background and kind of what got you involved. And we kind of touched on this before. You've been on Fox sharing your story, which is probably you know you've had some practice talking about this, but it's <laughs> not something a lot of people your age can like even say they've done yeah. um, to talk about the importance of an issue like women's sports on live television to millions of viewers. That's awesome, first of all. But I just I think this is where it's really cool. We're talking to a lot of young women out there. What can you tell them about that experience, how you prepared for it? And, you know, like, what is it like sitting in that chair and knowing right now millions <laughs> of TVs all over the country have my face and I'm talking on it? Right, right. Um, it definitely something that we, we really need right now is just a boldness with that comes with conviction. Right. Mm-hmm. There are so many girls who um, who believe these these things, but don't don't really want to talk about it because they're labeled as, you know, transphobic or whatever they want to say. But the world is crying out for truth. They need it. We're seeing just this need for some sort of light. Um, and so any opportunity to bear that truth and, and bring it to the people is is an opportunity that you want to take. Um, and it is scary. I know that there, I, <laughs> the Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, which I'm so grateful <laughs> for, but that, that comes with the calling. Um, and it's something that I had to, to learn, but it, it came with, um, and seeing that need for, seeing that need for truth, because like I said, so many, so many of these giants are coming up and, and denying truth and um, trying to silence, silence women. And so we need to stand up. We need to be even louder and, and tell them, um, tell them our opinion and make sure our, our voice, our voice is heard. That's awesome. No, I love that. And I guess just kind of following up on that, like you, you've already, you're killing it professionally and you haven't even graduated yet. <laughs> like that's you, awesome. What um, advice do you have for those young women out there that are looking, maybe they want to come to DC or I mean, even just getting a job at, or an internship mm-hmm. in general, what professional advice do you have for them for getting that ball rolling? Yeah. Um, like I said, the first time I testified, I was 18. And so I, I definitely, had this mindset that I was too young and that no one would want to hear what I had to say. Um, and I got kicked down the first time. I got kicked down and they they didn't want to hear my story and they said that it was not a real issue and that I was making it up. Um, I think we now see three years down the road that <laughs> I was, I was right <laughs> and that the young people do have do have a say and that their voice matters and, and, um, and that lawmakers need to hear our voices and don't ever let anyone despise you for your age. Um, You have something to say and people need to hear it. Uh, D.C. is a scary place. It is. Um, I was terrified the first time I came here. Um, But I am now equipped and there are people here with welcoming arms that are in this fight with you. And um, my experience interning at Heritage or Family Research Council or all these different organizations has been 
um, so incredible and some of the best experience I, I've ever had um, in, in helping equip me for this fight and, and getting over kind of that, that barrier of being scared of D.C. to getting here and actually seeing the people who are here and, and the people fighting with you and who are here to help equip you for that fight. And so it's it's been amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. Got chills. <laughs> well, you mentioned the internship and interning at Heritage. So shameless plug here for the Heritage Foundation internship. <laughs> yes. But so every semester, summer, spring, fall, Heritage welcomes roughly 60 interns into the building to intern in various capacities. What does a day in the life of a Heritage intern look like, Macy? Oh my gosh, so many, so many trips to Nessie, the coffee maker. <laughs> it's the best. Um, it is amazing. It gives you such a strong community of, like mm. you said, sixty interns of like-minded individuals who um, might be also scared to come to DC, but you're in it together and you get to link arms with other college students or some early post-grad students. Um, and and really get some hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. I am currently interning in the DeVos Center here, so that's life, religion, and family. And uh, the gender issue specifically is something that I've been really passionate about, and so I've really been able to get my hands on some research and, and do some of this work that I, I've been able to look to these authors and and uh, different scholars in the field. And, and now I get to meet them and work with them and, and see the behind the scenes of, of um, these reports that are coming out that I've been using for years. And now I get to actually help create them and find this research. So it's been so cool and very eye-opening um, to be behind the scenes and, and be a part of the fight in a new, unique way. That's really surreal. Mm-hmm. I had a similar experience because I also interned at Heritage, and I use their research in my college papers, right. and then you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they let me in. Right, that's cool. <laughs> uh, well, we are going to talk a little bit more about college in just a moment, and a new poll that finds trust in colleges is way down. But speaking of the Heritage Foundation internship, we still have openings for the fall semester. So for any of our listeners, or if you have friends or cousins or kids who you think would be interested in interning at the Heritage Foundation. Like we said, we have about uh, 60 interns that come into the building every semester that intern in everything from right here at the Daily Signal, writing news pieces, to editing video, editing podcasts, doing research on critical issues like Macy, what you're doing on issues like women's sports and the life issue to interns that are doing research on defense and our national security and China, just across the board, there is an opportunity for so many young people to really dig into issues that they're passionate about. So if you're interested in learning more about the paid Heritage Foundation internship, (laughs) you can head over to the Heritage Foundation website and look for the Young Leaders Program. When you click on careers, also probably an easier way to find out more is just Google Heritage Foundation Internship. It'll be the first, the first uh, tab that pops up there. Uh, but the, the application deadline is July 15th. So get your application in Ooh, ASAP. Days. I know it's very, very soon. Um, now, I think there might be some grace <laughs> <laughs> off the record. <laughs> Um, but really, the, it's, it gets a lot more challenging after after that July 5th deadline. So get your application in. We would love to see you here this fall. 
Yeah, just a shameless plug for my my side of things. Outreach, <laughs> we have our interns actually traveling down to West Palm Beach as I speak right now. Whoa. So there's some cool opportunities at Heritage wow. to even travel to conferences, not just in outreach, but also... <laughs> yeah, in comms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, your yeah. intern is On also... On Friday, she's headed yeah. down to that same conference, yeah. I think. Which I don't want to send it... the DeVos interns. <laughs> well, next time. Next time. Yes. But yes, uh, yes, yes. no, just super unique opportunity. Not all internships have that. And yeah. I just think, you know, Heritage is really on offense as Kevin Roberts, our president, says, exactly. um, and wants to prepare our interns yeah. for the next. I think that is a very unique part of this program is you do work and you do get some hands-on experience, but they are also filling you up and, and equipping you f- to go into the world. Mm. Um, we have so many different lecture series and skill development and things like that that they're really pouring into you and making sure that you are um, the best fighter that you can be and that you are totally equipped for this. And so um, you are, are helping Heritage out with your work, but they are also they are also pouring into you. So that's mm-hmm. very a very unique part of this program. So cool. Um, yeah, but well, Kristen, quick pivot, quick pivot, pivot, pivot. No, I Let's mean talk colleges. Yeah, colleges. I feel like that's been just the bane of our existence for the, <laughs> the last few months, years. What? Um, but something I found interesting. So, like you said, we found some polling, and interestingly enough, I think the only thing lower than Biden's approval rating is America's trust in academia. Oh no! What I mean by that. Gallup recently came out with a poll. They're a pretty big pollster for those unaware. Um, But they basically came out and said that Americans don't trust colleges anymore. Or only 36 out of every 100 Americans say they approve of colleges and universities. And let's just step back and kind of see what's happened in the last, you know, few months and years. We've Mm -hmm. seen at GW and other universities, Plan B vending machines. Mm -hmm. We've seen this almost race to create a quote-unquote ideal student life experience, which is why we're seeing, you know, gender-neutral bathrooms and all that randomness and (laughs) teachers coming out and creating little support groups, whatever. Safe Um, spaces. Safe space. I hate that word so much. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, we've seen professors even come out saying things like, I hate conservatives. And, you know, the, the idea of sex is a weaponized immutable characteristic or characteristic that has been weaponized for women um, and is used to, you know, disregard trans needs, which Mm -hmm. I didn't really even know existed, but whatever. (laughs) Um, And something that I just recently came across, Westland University, their student paper just came out in May and confirmed that the college would cover the cost of abortions after insurance for all students. And I say all students because remember, birthing people are something that they're talking about now. (laughs) So um, oh I think, you know, would love your thoughts as a current college student, Macy, but <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not either. I'm not either. And honestly, this this change is expected because these colleges, they they are not putting student well-being or student academia first. Mm-hmm. They aren't. Their their priority lies with a, a political agenda and, and what they want to want their students to look like, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's little political forces to go out and further push the agenda that they're pushing on them. Um, they We see this because they're not teaching responsibility. They're not teaching um, any of these, these values that you're supposed to learn in college. Um, I have a friend who um, told me a story in a speech communications class. She uh, 
somebody the the professor was speaking and she was like we do have a participation grade but if you don't feel comfortable raising your hand and speaking in class you can just email me your comments oh my this gosh. is a speech communication class they don't they, oh they're just about affirming whatever your feelings are rather than teaching you how to actually communicate mm-hmm. um and and that's just so telling of of where our uh institutions are at right now they they are not about educating or challenging these students Mm -hmm. in any way well and it's so unhelpful that's such a disservice to the student at which point they should say some someone should have risen their hand and said well what am i paying you then for (laughs) right yeah this is useless if i can just shoot you an email and say this is what i think because then what you have is you have young people graduating who don't know how to communicate Mm -hmm. clearly verbally which is writing and speaking are so critical to getting a job, being able to communicate ideas clearly, being able to write ideas clearly. And if you're telling students, well, you don't really have to learn how to communicate Mm -hmm. verbally. If it makes you uncomfortable, don't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it just was such a waste of money, which brings us to the question, Mm. is college even worth it anymore? Mm. Interesting. I, I, um, I think for me, college has been much more about my personal development than mm. anything else, mm-hmm. um, academics-wise. And I, like I said, I, I came into college not having any desire to come into politics, and <laughs> and I am a different person now. Only three years yeah. later, I'm a totally different person. I'm bold. I um, these these new qualities have come out of me that weren't here before, and I do credit that to to a lot of my college experience mm-hmm. and being able to to meet friends and things like that. And I am blessed to go to a private Christian school. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why it has been so developmental for me. Um, And so I look at these other institutions where these students are not getting this personal development and they're not being taught responsibility. They're not being taught these other values. And I do question, I'm like, if they're not learning this, if they're just being constantly affirmed in whatever they want, then then yeah, what's the point? Yeah. yeah, It's interesting, just kind of flushing out those numbers a little bit more. 17% of Americans in this poll said they had a great deal of confidence in their universities. And I was trying to Google it really quick, but I'm, I'm pretty safe, I think, in saying that if a drug or, you know, even like a customer rating was at 17%, mm-hmm. probably would be changing some things, right. you know, right. and evaluating, auditing, all of that. But right. Um, one side of things that I, I think we don't talk enough about, too, and it, it feeds into our next conversation with student loans. Um, if you look at the price of colleges in the last 50 years, so looking back at 1971 to 2021-ish, the price of public schools has increased by 1,500%. The oh only thing God. I think that has increased more is Disney World tickets, and that was $3,000 <laughs> or 3,000%. Like, literally. And I think that has led to a lot of distrust or at least people saying it's not worth it for that mm-hmm. co- is college worth it conversation. Right. Because College Board and USA Today, I did some digging on this just because, again, econ curious. Mm-hmm. Um, college Board and USA Today said that the average student is about $28,000 in debt when leaving college. And of all of the students attending college, 66% at least leave with some debt. So mm-hmm. about 66, probably a little bit less percentage of students in our country are leaving colleges, which 
are, you know, a check mark for a lot of job applications, but not all, mm-hmm. uh, with $28,000 in debt. Something that was also in- interesting is that the average income of these students when they leave college with a degree is $55,000 a year. So obviously wow. there's a, a little offset, you mm-hmm. know, but not a ton when you think about inflation and how you have to, you know, pay for food, pay for, right. for things. Yeah, you need something to live on. And then there's taxes. Right. And then there's taxes. <laughs> and then there's taxes. Oh, <laughs> making 55000 is not making It's not. And I am so glad you brought that up because... It's just that's a large part of the loan process, which, again, we're about Mm -hmm. to talk about. But for some context, in context, in 1978, the Middle Income Student Assistant Act was introduced, which basically just expanded who was eligible um, to receive student loans. Um, That happened in 1978. And up until that point, in around 1968, college prices had increased but they were starting to decrease in 1968, which leads you to wonder what these loans are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I again, facts. I went and read a story. Uh, so for every $1 of student aid that increases, so an increase by $1 in, in loans, the cost of institutions increase by 65%. Oh, wow. Yes. And only 40% of the population receives financial Mm -hmm. aid. So that means 40% is getting that increase of $1, but 100% of students are getting an increase of 65%. Mm. Doesn't seem exactly fair. Um, But that all leads to the question of, is college worth it? And if you look, like I said, increase in price by 1,500%. It just doesn't it doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, long winded way of saying that. Well, no. <laughs> and I think it, that that gets at the heart of that larger question of, yeah, OK, why are you going to college? What's the motivation? What's the point? Which I Macy, I, I agree with you in that um, I also went to a, a private Christian college and it was a really good experience. And I grew so much. And I think, um, you know, there's there's elements where academics are, are great, but college is also this beautiful time of really growing and mm-hmm. learning who you are and building lifelong friendships. Um, so I I do think it's, I think it's just something that needs to be weighed, right? You mm-hmm. have to ask the why behind right. going to college. Right. And it's different for each person and each major, you mm-hmm. know, some, it uh, is so some people don't need a college degree and that's the truth. And they don't need to be told that they're not going to be able to have a career without it because that's just not true. And it it totally depends on what you're wanting to do. And this push to have so many people go to college is in part, I think, what spurred on the government lending out so many loans for students because it was this idea of if you don't go to college, you won't be successful. And so (laughs) they decided, okay, we're going to give anyone who wants it student loans, no questions asked, here you go, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, And that ultimately, in my opinion, has shot so many young people in the foot because now, Kristen, like you said, Mm -hmm. they're graduating, they're getting jobs that pay maybe $55,000 on average, so some less, some more, and they're not able to pay back the tens of thousands of dollars. They're in debt. That means it's going to take longer to be able to buy a home, all of these things. So... Instead of actually fixing the root of the problem and saying we're not going to lend out as much money, we're going to pull back, which ultimately would lead to universities and colleges having to decrease mm-hmm. the cost of mm-hmm. tuition because they would know we just can't charge this much. People can't afford it. Right. It, mm-hmm. it would go down. Instead, the Biden administration said, OK, we'll just 
pay it off for yeah, you the all. Thousand yeah, the $10,000. Right. Yeah, and so that was the plan. Uh, we've talked about this, obviously. So you all, you heard it here first, Sarah Partial Perry. <laughs> she joined the show two weeks ago, and this was before we learned the Supreme Court ruling. But what Sarah predicted essentially happened. There was two cases before the Supreme Court. One, the court ruled, had no standing. The other one, the Supreme Court said, yeah, this is not constitutional for the Biden administration to simply wave a wand and forgive so, I mean, literally millions upon millions of dollars in student loans. Um, and so, long story short, if you have student loans, the Biden administration's policy failed. So it's not going to be, you're not going to get that $10,000 break or $20,000 break uh, in forgiveness. Now, the Biden administration says, we have a plan. We're still going to try and do it. That's, again, very questionable, his constitutional authority to do any of that. But what I would tell the Biden administration is you got to just stop lending out mm-hmm. money to 18-year-olds who don't have, uh, for one, might not have had any any background. Any, we, we know school doesn't do a great job in training young people how to use finances. That's mm-hmm. one of my biggest frustrations with our education system. So so many young people aren't aware of how money works. Our brains aren't developed at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And yet we're just continuing to lend money, which it's it truly is such a disservice to young people. It, it totally is. And something interesting I also found is one in four students actually are actually using their degree in mm. the field of work that they're in. For all of those who don't know, biology, economics, that's what I majored in. I'm an outreach and I was in comms. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think that's such a good point. And I mean, thank God to some extent that they just Supreme Court ruled. Um, I know a lot of people were hopeful to get that $10,000 break. Um, but right now, where our debt stands per citizen is $96,000, almost mm-hmm. 100000 or ninety. 7,000 math. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I, I think having some fiscal responsibility is just so desperately needed. It's mm-hmm. so needed. It's mm-hmm. so needed. Well, Macy, we want to thank you for your time today, for joining us. This has been so fun to have you on and to hear your story. And we're really excited to continue following you and your career as you continue to be an advocate for women. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity just to share my story and, and talk with you girls. It's been a great day. Well, stay tuned because up next we crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash morningbell subscription or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. Now, it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Misha Maynard. Misha is a former Democrat turned Republican from the Peach State. On Tuesday, she made a headline by announcing that she would be leaving the Georgia Democrat Party establishment due to controversy over a school choice bill. She explains a bit more about her decision to vote out of line with her Democrat colleagues in a recent video. Let's take a look point where they are giving away $1,000 checks to anyone that will run against me. I'm not apologizing because my colleagues don't like how I vote. When my community loves the fact that someone is finally sticking up for them and holding these systems accountable. Let's be real. Parents do not want their child trapped in a failing school. 
and they aren't frustrated with teachers. They're upset with the elected leaders that put the teachers union and donors ahead of their constituents. While we may not agree on everything Misha has to say, it's easy to see that this problematic woman is not afraid to fight for her constituents. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's the thing here, that when it, take, it takes a ton of courage mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, okay, I, I've done one thing for a while. I've stood uh, by a certain party or certain policies. And then to be willing to say, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't quite what I thought. Or wait a second, the people that I thought were with me on these policies are no longer. And to put your foot in the ground and say, no, 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 this isn't a, this isn't really at the end of the day. It's not about politics. It's about the people that I serve. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to stand to push forward policies like school choice. Like you mentioned, Kristen, that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for her of saying, I, I want school choice in the state of Georgia. And she was realizing, wait a second, this isn't a Republican or, or Democrat issue. This should be something we all want. Why why is my party not on board with this? So it's just impressive to see someone who's willing to say, you know what, politics aside, I'm just doing what I think is right for my constituents. Yes. No one, not no one, a lot of people don't do that. And I think it's so easy to give into the group think. And she totally could have done that. Mm-hmm. And she chose not to because she not only made a decision, she made an informed decision. Mm-hmm. She looked at proficiency in reading, math, writing, et cetera, and said to herself, how can I improve these families and these children's lives? And that's what led her to make the decision she did. And I, there's never anything wrong with that. Nope. Nope. Well, congratulations to Misha Maynard for being our Problematic Women of the Week. But with that, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So go ahead, pull out your phone, pull up your laptop, search for Problematic Women wherever you like to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or across all platforms. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe to the show. Thank you, too, to everyone who's left those reviews. We love seeing your feedback come in. It's really helpful and actually helps to keep on spreading the word and keep growing the podcast. For videos from today's show, definitely go check us out on Instagram. It's Mm -hmm. at Problematic Women. But otherwise, have a great week, guys. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.